Welcome back. It's time for Customer Suplex. I've got another great episode lined up for you today. My guest is Joe Valley. He runs a mergers and acquisitions company and helps founders and businesses of various sizes prepare themselves for an exit. And he does that by helping them prepare their data, making sure they're measuring the right metrics, tracking properly, and making sure the company's super appealing to a buyer. These same metrics apply even if you're not looking to sell your business or if you're not even the owner, because these metrics show a healthy business. And so if you're tracking these metrics and everything looks good, you can be happy that you're doing a good job. But let's get Joe on now to go into the detail, explain some of these metrics and exactly why they're important. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining me today. Do you want to just uh, quickly introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about you, your, your background and kind of how you've got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. First of all, I appreciate it. Uh, as far as who I am, my background, I am an entrepreneur first and foremost. I've been self-employed since 1997 and dabble with side hustles long before then. Um, so I quit my last job in 1997, launched my, uh, it was a media buying agency back in the direct response, radio direct response world. Um, launched a couple of products along the way, both on radio and television, all, this, all the while running an agency. But the last um, product that I launched, I took 100% online in 2005. And I ran that product uh, from 05 to 010, sort of through the best of and the worst of the economy back then. Yeah. And it came out the other side, just uh, tired, worn out, exhausted, and emotionally ready to sell. Just wanted to move on. It was great business. I, I was only working 20, 25 hours a week on the business, but uh, I still, I just, I was tired. As an entrepreneur, I'd, I'd put in five years which felt like 10 because of the, uh, you know, the great uh, uh, recession there. And I came out the other side just wanting to sell. And I found a company called Quiet Light Brokerage, and uh, along with a couple of other brokerage firms. But Quiet Light uh, ended up uh, being the firm I wanted to work with and listed the business and sold through Quiet Light in 2010. And then I joined the company in early 2012. I took about a year off and then joined the company. And the original founder, Mark, and I are, are now business partners. Uh, since then, since I joined in 2012, um, I personally sold about 100 million in total transactions. Uh, and this is strictly online businesses representing the sell side. And then so for the last decade, that's been my focus, helping people understand the value of what they have on the sell side, um, talking to them long in advance, hopefully, of selling their business so that they can prepare it better to get that eventual exit that's going to really suit them and make a difference in their lives. And then I launched, uh, I launched the, uh, the Expreneur's Playbook. I launched it in uh, June of this year, hit the uh, bestseller list in uh, like seven or eight different categories on Amazon and categories, Will, that just make absolutely no sense why, yeah. why I'm a bestseller in that category or that category. But it, you know, it is what it is. I'm happy with it. And uh, you know, I, can, I can reach more people uh, with a book because there's so much misinformation out there about what, what actually brings or plummets value, what the process is of actually exiting your business. So um, rather than you know 50 different blogs or forums or Facebook groups, I figured I'd put it all in one place so somebody can have it all in their hand. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I actually received my copy uh, two days ago, I think. So I haven't quite had a chance to get into it, but, um, but it's on the, uh, on the side ready, um, ready to be read. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, cool, well, let's, let's kind of get into it then. Um, what is it that makes a business attractive? What are, what are some of the key, uh, key metrics or factors that uh, you guys look at and, and that potential buyers look at 
to decide whether a business is kind of healthy and, and something that's worth purchasing? Yeah, great question. Well, first and foremost, you got to think about what a buyer's uh, wanting to do with the business, right? They're, they're looking to make an investment to get a positive return on their investment because they can do lots of things with their money. Um, they're not necessarily looking to buy a job and just replace their income if they're leaving the corporate world and make $150,000. they are just not looking to do the same. Um, maybe, maybe a few are so, because they think this, you know, this entrepreneurial life gives you so much freedom and flexibility, um, which it does, but they forget that you, know, you and I uh, and everybody listening that's an entrepreneur, generally their mind works 24-7 and they wake up in the middle of the night thinking about their business. It's not, it's not, it's not a day job anymore. Yeah. Um, but the, the key metrics that buyers look at are kind of the most important metrics. And there's some financial ones and there's some non-financial ones. If we focus in on you know, the financial ones first, because it's a return on investment, right? Businesses of this kind are sold as a multiple of seller's discretionary earnings, which is net income plus add backs, which is owner benefits like salary and cashback rewards and things of that nature. So net income plus add backs equals seller's discretionary earnings. And then it's sold as a multiple of that. So if it's sold as, you know, three point a three point five multiple, the owner of the business, the buyer of the business, is expecting to at least break even in three and a half years. Right? They've gotten their money back in three and a half years and everything above and beyond that is profitable. And that holds true if business revenue and profit is flat, if there's no growth. Yeah. So one of the key metrics that would push a multiple higher or lower, that's non-financial or non. It's, well, I guess it is financial in many ways. It's it's growth, right? Yeah. Um, so there's 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 growth, there's risk, there's transferability, there's documentation. These are the, the non-financial key metrics that people generally look at, buyers look at without many cases realizing. They don't check boxes and go, okay, risk, growth, transferability, documentation. They don't check those boxes, but that's what they're looking at. And then there's a fifth pillar, if you will, and that's the person behind the business. So those are the non-financial ones, the financial ones are certainly, what is the seller's discretionary earnings? What kind of year-over-year growth has there been? What clear paths to growth are there? What's the advertising cost as a percentage of total revenue? Is it growing? Is it declining? Um, you know, What's the discretionary earnings as a percentage of total revenue? Is it 4%, which would be frightening? Or is it 15% for an e-commerce business, which would be typical, maybe 15 to 20%? So they're going to look at a lot of different financial key metrics, which are generally, again, gross profit trends, advertising trends, discretionary earning trends, both in dollars and percentages. But then the non-financial ones are, you know, risk, growth, transferability, documentation, and the and the person behind the business. They're all really, really critical. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, on the on the growth side in particular, um, like I say, you want to see growth, right? You want to see that this business, the last. I don't know how long, how far back you look, but let's say three, four years has been growing at a decent rate. Yeah. Because then you're thinking, well, you know, obviously you're going to do your research and stuff, but you could, you know, reasonably expect there to be probably more growth on the way. Whereas a business that stayed flat for three years, you might be thinking, well, are there missed opportunities for growth that we can tap into? In which case, you know, that, that buyer is going to get a better deal, I suppose, because based on the numbers, they're going to say, well, you know, your business is flat. This isn't great, but they might see the opportunity to to grow it. Right. Um, but also at the same time, you might be thinking, well, that revenue has been stable or that income has been stable. Is it going to start dropping off? 
Yeah. And you have to look at the expertise of the seller of the business versus the expertise of the buyer. If you're coming in from the corporate world and you want to learn everything from the owner of the business and revenue's flat, you could expect that revenue might be maintaining uh, its you know, flat uh, as you buy it until you gain that level of expertise to take it to the next level and, and capture opportunities that that person uh, has not. Whereas if, if you know, a business is scaling dramatically because of the expertise of the person that, that built it, and if you don't have that same level of expertise, it may continue to grow because of those built-in paths to growth that they've already created and cleared uh, but it may slow until you gain that expertise yourself. Yeah, if those systems are in place, you know, hopefully those systems will continue to grow the business. But yeah, if you take that person out who's uh, tweaking and and kind of maintaining those systems, then they may not perform as well. Yeah. Um, but I like your point about the advertising as well. You know, obviously, if 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 growth is going up, whatever ten percent a year or something, but those advertising costs to get that growth are increasing at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. You know, that as well doesn't doesn't look too great. It's a key metric that that we look at all the time, and buyers are going to look at it as well. Yeah. So if you're spending more money on advertising, and your revenue and discretionary earnings are not growing at the same pace, you know you're you're going to your margins are simply going to shrink. Uh, so your advertising is not working, or there's more competition, or there's something that's going to lead to continually shrinking margins and declined growth on the bottom line. You may be, maybe you're growing on the top line, but it's getting tighter and tighter on the bottom line. And that's you know, a key metric that people are going to look at pretty closely. Another thing that I see in terms of advertising, Will, is you know, um, some, you know, a lot of folks, they, they learn, they do it on their own. You know, I did it myself, right? So I launched my own 100% online site in 2005. It was so easy to spend money on Google AdWords yeah. back then. It was cheap. And there wasn't a whole lot of competition, but over those five years, it got a lot more competitive and I didn't gain the expertise. I said, I got this, right? You know, I thought I could do everything. I'm an entrepreneur, but I I really didn't. Now, in hindsight, looking back, I spent so much money, but I didn't really gain the expertise that I should have. Um, And so, you know, I wasted a lot of money. Another way I see people waste money in the key metrics that we look at is when they hand off, they, they say, I got this, no problem. And then they set up SOPs for a VA. They say, I just want you to do this, follow this exactly. Uh, and then they take their eye off the ball on terms of ad costs because they don't look at their numbers every single month, which is a huge mistake. They just look at top line numbers. Um, there's often a big spike in ad costs and cost per acquisition yet there's no spike in revenue and profit during those months. And I've seen that, you know, over the last decade, I've seen that a lot and it reduce and, and, and it's all, and I see it because people are wanting to exit, right? But when we, when we look at the last 12 months, which is what the primary multiple is based off of, um, if there's been a spike in ad cost to the tune of, you know, $25,000 over the last, over a three month period with no bump in revenue or uh, profit, they screwed up. And then somebody, the owner would then bring that back in house, but that's $25,000. It's gone. And if you're selling at a three time multiple, that's $75,000 off the list price of your business. My son goes to a great state school here in North Carolina in the States. That's three years worth of tuition. My point here is 
every single dollar matters when you're selling your business and everybody is going to exit their business someday. So you got to pay attention to those little details and don't make the mistake that my, my teenagers do often, which is say, I got this, or I said, I got this when I really didn't and uh, get the expertise or hire the expertise to make sure that you know, you're really doing the right thing because eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you or hurt you dramatically. And, and if it's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt you at a multiple of two, three, four, five times. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point, actually. Um, yeah. It's not just uh, 25 grand down the drain uh, through bad advertising. It's then if, if you are looking at selling and think that's going to happen within that next 12 months, you've cost yourself you know, several times more on that because that's money that you're not going to get. Um, on the other end. You're not going to get it back. It's gone. And you can't do an ad back for advertising. People are always pushing that. I'm like, absolutely not. It, it's Everybody is going to test new campaigns and some are going to work and some are not. And you can't just add back the failed campaigns because the new owner of the business is going to do the same thing. I've been doing it since 1997. I, I wish that I could launch an ad campaign that never failed but I'd be the first one in history to do that. And so you can't do an ad back of that. So you got to pay close attention to those things. You know, if, if you plan on selling your business, which, you know, everybody's eventually going to exit, but, you know, a lot of people just wake up and decide to sell like I did back in 2010. Actually, I, I, that's what I did. But, but then Mark, my advisor at the time, my partner now made me wait because it was growing and I was doing some things. He didn't make me wait. He advised me to wait. And I, uh, this guy's telling me to go away. He's helping me. He's thinking about what's in my best interest. He's not trying to just sell me something. And, uh, and, I, and I did that and it helped me earn a lot more money, which to my point, I woke up. Uh, my advice is, is, is learn everything you can about the value of your business and the eventual exit, because that is where you're going to make most of your money in most of these online businesses. And so you really should be paying as much attention to it as possible. Don't just wake up and decide to sell your business because you're not going to get max value when that day comes. You really got to think through it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I suppose the, the, the message there is like build your business as if you are going to sell it within the next 12 months. Right? Yeah. Kind of always have that in mind because that's going to help you keep it kind of clean and tidy. It's going to make you think through everything because you think, well, if I spend this money now and we mess it up, is that going to cost me four times that within the next 12 months? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not just the next 12 months, right? So, you know, I have to uh, walk the walk and you know, talk the talk and walk the walk, right? So I own a, I'm a partner now at Quiet Light Mark and I have a business partner. So I have to think about, you know, I have to set my own exit goals, right? Eventually uh, my business is going to go into somebody else's hands and so every time we uh, are looking at trying a new campaign or putting a new person in a position, we have to think, is this, you know, if we were going to sell in 2022, which we're, we're not, but if we were going to, how is this going to impact? When am I going to get my return on investment? Is it going to take me 24 months or 36 months? And does that work within when I plan on exiting? If I'm going to sell in the next 12 months, you absolutely have to consider the expense today if you're going to sell in the next 12 months. If you're going to maybe exit in the next 24 and you're making an investment this year that's going to pay off dramatically next, that's okay, right? Because it's, it's, it's still a multiple of the last 12 months is where the math is and the formula is, um, but the buyers will look at the year-over-year trends as well. So if you're making big investments now, 
you got to at least break even if you're selling in the next 12. And if, uh, if, if you're selling in the next 24, 36, 48, it's, it's okay if it's a long-term investment to make. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you mentioned earlier, one of those pillars is, is the people or the, the owner. Um, how much, I guess, where is it kind of weighted? Who, who do you look at within a business? So let's say it's got, you know, it's more than just a single person. It's, you know, it might be 50 employees got actual, you know, customer service team, a marketing team, potentially a couple of developers, you know, finance people, whatever. Um, who are you really looking at and assessing to say, you know, are these guys good for the business or are they a problem or, well, I suppose, you know, what the questions are as well. So you could probably explain that. Yeah, it starts at the top. It starts way at the top, right? It's the owner of the business. So if I'm on a call, like I had on a valuation call last week, um, learning about the business. The business has had some struggles, but it came back up and is growing now after some struggles. And I'm, I'm on a call with the owner of the business and we always do Zoom calls now so we can see them and get to know them and get a better feel for them. And then entire time I'm gauging whether or not this person is trustworthy or not. Do I feel good about this person? Are they going, going to instill confidence in the buyer of the business. That's number one. Are they going to instill confidence in, you know, to the buyer? Is it somebody that they feel like they can trust? Is this person going to you know, sell the business and run away and disappear? Uh, or are they going to be there and support the seller afterwards? Contractually, they have to support them afterwards with our transactions. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's that level of support, and that level of care that is most important. It's literally your first stage is like a likability test. Right. Do I, do I have a chat with you yeah. and go, yeah, I, th- I think you're a so- solid person. You, you don't seem dodgy. Or- yeah, I was, at, um, I was at an event um, several years ago and I was on a panel and, and one of the questions was, what does it take to be a great buyer? How do I compete against those that have more cash than I do? And uh, you know, my simple answer was just don't be a jerk. And I used different language at the time, but you know, be likable. Be somebody that I want to do business with. And that, it's funny because that same uh, mastermind group, uh, a year and a half later, I sold a business for a client and it was $2.3 million. Well, and he had two full price offers. One was all cash and the other was uh, a SBA financing deal where 10% had to be seller financed. So which one would you naturally take as a seller today? You're going to take the all cash one. That's a $230,000 difference at closing, right? That's just what we think. That's just what we say. That's our gut reaction. The reality is the owner of the business felt the cash buyer was a bit of a jerk and didn't trust that person and thought he'd be really difficult and pain in the butt to work with, whereas he really liked the SBA buyer. He cared about his staff and employees and he wanted them to transfer successfully with the business. He chose the deal that was going to get him $230,000 less at closing. So being likable is really important. It's very important as a seller as well. As far as the staff, so you start at the top, being likable, being trustworthy, make sure you're posting uh, appropriate things online. You know, in today's political world here in the States, worldwide vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, you should not be taking a hard stance. If you want to sell your business in the next 12 to 24 months, be neutral, be likable, because everything you post online, just like we tell our kids these days, everything you're going to post online is going to be visible to everybody in the world that wants to find it. So that's number one. Then it goes to that staff, you know, um, 
Remember, I talked about risk, growth, transferability, and documentation. If I'm buying a business from you, Will, and you have a staff of 10 critical employees that are helping you run the business and grow the business, I want those people to transfer. Because otherwise, it's a risk to me that they that I have to hire new people and they don't know as much as your staff knows and they're not as good. So the, so the transferability of that staff is really critical to the successful transaction of the business. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. If I, um, you know, have a great team that does, you know, great work, or I have outsourced agencies that can run my ad campaigns, and instead of your internal people, I'm just going to use my external staff, my, my external team, that's fine too. But for the most part, you want to set the business up so that it's fully transferable uh, with the exception of you, the owner of the business, you're going to be there for a short training and transition period. Then you're going to go about your merry way and onto your next adventure. Make sense? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what else goes into it? Um, so we've got those, yeah, what, what other kind of areas are important or, you know, what sort of things uh, could mess it up from a seller side as well, I suppose? What, what looks bad? Yeah. So let's just look at, at that risk area right now, right? So the first thing a buyer is going to look at is um, the age of the business. Is it six months old? Is it 12 months old? Is it 24, 36, 48, right? Um, generally, buyers are looking for something that's at least 24 months in this online world. Occasionally, um, you know, we see something successfully sold at, at, a, at a fair multiple, uh, in the 18-month range, year and a half. Um, but um, as you get younger, you grow a business, you, you launch a business and you say, okay, 12 months in, my, my, my goal is to build it and sell it because that's where I'm going to make most of my money. It's true, but if you're going to sell it at 12 months or 15 months, you're not going to get the same multiple as if the business was 36 month old because it's grown more, it's more diverse, it's gone through some highs and lows. Uh, there are systems in place. There's probably more reviews. There's you know more customers, things of that nature. So a younger business is higher risk. So age is the first one. A really, really important one is diversification of customers or SKUs, you know, depending upon your SaaS business or a physical product business or a content business. If you have one hero SKU that generates 75% of the revenue and then a bunch of other SKUs that don't do much at all, that's a risk to the buyer because if something happens in the supply chain, you know, logistics that we have now or, you know, competition comes in and underprices it or things of that nature, it's just more risk. So you don't want to have a hero skew. You want to be well diversified so the business is safer for the buyer, better investment. Again, lower risk, higher value. Do you have like a, a, a rough idea of what, you know, I, I think a lot of product, a lot of businesses do have kind of hero products. They still have their best seller. Do you have a, a kind of an idea of what that should be as a percentage of revenue? Less than fifty. Let just less than fifty. Less than fifty is the safest benchmark. As long as you're less than fifty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then if you've got you know three other key products that are making up the other percent, the other fifty percent, that's fine, right? And and the key thing is is really then we get into the growth trends. Right of those hero skews is the hero skew declining in terms of overall percentage while revenue is still growing of that skew, real key metric to focus in on, and the other three skews that have been launched in the last twenty four months, they're growing 
in revenue and they're growing as a percentage of total revenue, right? So we're starting to see some balance. Whereas, you know, if, if that hero skew is just declining as a percentage of revenue and everything's declining in general, it's just a big risk. So all those key metrics are really, really important. Um, the other thing that folks are going to look at, again, are those, are those growth trends. Is it year-over-year growth? It doesn't matter that January is less than December. It matters that January is higher than last January. So it's looking at it annually. Uh, built-in path to growth. So if you've got four SKUs with one of them generating less than 50%, but you've also you know, launched those other three SKUs, as I mentioned, in the last 12 to 24 months, and they continue to grow. And you've got another four SKUs in queue that you can launch. Those are built-in paths to growth for a new owner to take over because they want to grow the business. They're not buying a job where they're just going to maintain the revenue, right? They want to get a positive return on their investment and eventually exit the business as well. Really, really key. The, 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 the biggest thing that I see people not do well, and this may surprise you, I'm not sure, is that they don't have clear documentation of their financials. To this day, still in 2021, um, people are not using QuickBooks or Zero. They're using cheap, free accounting software. It's not really accounting software because you can't do accrual accounting, which is critical. Or they're just using, you know, an Excel spreadsheet. Did an evaluation last week? It's an Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, he's just showing me gross profit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Where's the cost of internet expense? Where's the cost of the domain for your you know, website, all this other stuff? He's just, that's not instilling confidence in the buyer of the business. And you know, people might be listening, shaking their heads going, well, that's, that, that, that's very rare. That's absolutely not rare. I'd, I'd, I'd venture, I want you to do a poll of your audience and you know, an anonymous poll. If it's less than 50%, I will donate $1,000 to your favorite charity. I'm pretty sure that more than 50% of the people listening are not using QuickBooks or Zero because they just bootstrapped it. They're an entrepreneur like you and me. They're not great at the details, but they're great at pushing through to the end goal. Uh, and along the way, that you know, they got a ballpark idea of the numbers, which is good for them as they run the business on a day-to-day basis, but it's terrible for building a business to eventually exit. Because it's impossible to do evaluation if you don't have, you know, first of all, you got to have accrual accounting. We could flip it to accrual, but it's not, it's not going to be perfectly accurate. And that's where a e- good e-commerce bookkeeper comes into play. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that makes sense. You know, the buyer, that's what the buyer is going to want to see, right? Well-kept, professional bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, partly to make sure, you know, the numbers are accurate, but also, I suppose, make sure nothing kind of slips through. Yeah, make sure nothing slips through the cracks so that you can do your financial due diligence on the business once it's under LOI. But again, it goes back to that overarching trust and instilling confidence. It, it kind of shows that you're a grown-up, that you care about the business you're running um, and, and, and the, the buyer of that business. You want them to make a good investment and get a good return on investment. And if you're just throwing together spreadsheets um, with inaccurate data, uh, it's you're not a grown-up. You're not a yeah. professional. Simple as that. And I'm sorry to insult half the people that are listening, but sometimes you just need a dose of reality that you know if you want to exit. In, in many many cases, I'd say venture most cases, the business that us as entrepreneurs are operating 
is our most valuable asset. Yet we don't treat it like our most valuable asset with a full understanding of the financials and the numbers and its current value. In order to you know, set an exit goal, which everybody should have, I'm going to sell my business in the Q4 of 2025 for $9 million. And when I do sell it, you got to have the feeling in there. I'm going to feel unburdened because I get to spend more time with my family. My kid's education is paid for, and I'll have plenty of money left over for my next adventure. Got to have all that in there. But in order to sell it for $9 million and get that goal four years out, you need to know where you are today. And without good financials and a good understanding of valuations, you can't even begin to ballpark what your business is truly worth today and how close or how far you are from that goal, what kind of annual growth you have to have in order to reach that goal and things of that nature. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're in Boise, Idaho here in the States and you're, you know, trying to get to Portland, Maine and you put in Google Maps, Portland, Maine, and you can, it's there, it comes up, but you can't figure out where you are today. You're not going to have the clearest path to that. And so if you set an exit goal in dollar state and feeling, but you don't know what your current value is, you're not going to get to your exit goal with the clearest, most direct path and the least amount of pain. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it makes sense, really. I mean, it's, it, you know, with marketing as well, right? If you, you can't just set yourself a revenue goal of a million dollars a month or whatever, if you've got no idea how your current ad campaigns are performing, mm-hmm. because, because you'll have no idea what to change. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what the opportunities are um, to, to actually get there. Right? That's right. Um, cool. Uh, when we first spoke uh, before the podcast, you mentioned uh, exit without exiting. Yeah, tell us a bit about that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I, I'd love to jump into that. So there's, you know, before you are truly going to exit your business and move on to your next adventure, and retire or whatever the case is, or pass away, right? And maybe go to your kids and whatnot. If you get the business to a certain size, there is the alternative to simply exiting, uh, which is exit without exiting. And that means you scale the business to a certain level so that you can afford to promote I would say internally, somebody that's currently on your team to the you know C level, um, C suite level, so that somebody else steps in as the CEO. You stay on as a strategic advisor. You're the owner of the business, but you're not in the daily grind anymore. So you are exiting without exiting. You've got to be able to compensate that person accordingly with. Um, bonuses and incentives of bottom line profit and over, you know, growth and things of that nature. But if you can get to a certain level scale wise to bring somebody else in to do the daily grind of the business, um, you can certainly exit without exiting. But yet, this is the exception rather than the rule, right? So with my business quiet light, that's a possibility down the road, right? Where we could sell entirely. And again, that's not really not something we want to do. But in theory, if we wanted to sell entirely, we could just sell, stick around for a little while, and then move on to our next adventures. Or our business is big enough where it's generating a wonderful income for myself and my partner and all of the you know, advisors on our team. Uh, we could promote someone to do more of what my partner does and more of what I do. And we could just step back from the business a little bit, not be in the daily grind, making those daily decisions anymore 
and doing more strategic uh, planning and strategic decisions, maybe with a monthly or quarterly strategic call. That, you know, if I did that for the next decade uh, and then eventually exited, that's going to give me uh, a much, much larger exit someday, assuming the business continues to grow. So there is that option of exiting entirely and just freeing your mind of all the clutter of your business that you, you know, are in it on a daily grind. Or if you can scale to a certain level and you can truly afford to promote somebody within. And, and I say promote somebody within because you know, that's um, actually the statistically where you find the most success. If you've ever read uh, Good to Great, um, those businesses that go from good to great generally promote within. It's not the celebrity CEO that makes a business last for the long run. It's, it's the, uh, the quiet person that's going to keep plugging away and growing the business. And generally, it's, it's people promoted from within that do that best. Yeah, I think you see that's um, kind of extra motivation, uh, extra care from someone who's actually uh, potentially even started you know, down the bottom of the business. And mm-hmm. they've, they've grown with it. They've, they've been rewarded over the years. And so they've got that kind of, not only the knowledge and the understanding of the business, and therefore they're already at an advantage, but they're, they're happy. They know the business. They hopefully love the business as well and want to see it succeed more. Yeah, yeah. Just simply because the culture is often so, so critical to a company. And if somebody that doesn't understand the culture comes in from the outside, they can totally screw it up. And sometimes your best people could leave. If they're already yeah. part of the culture, and respected within the team, then uh, they could be elevated and you could exit without exiting. Yeah. And um, would you say the the approaches to both of those are, are quite similar? Absolutely. Right? So you still need to keep, you know, you've got to make sure your metrics are, are good and, and growing correctly. You've got to make sure your yeah. the, the bottom line's good. So yeah, the key, yeah, you've got to, I mean, the, again, you've got to understand the data within your business. You've got to, you've got to understand it. And it's, it, it all comes down to P&Ls and then analyzing them every single month bottom line is it you know where and we have a we have a fractional cfo that we review every everything every single month where are we at in terms of our projections where are we at year to date how do we compare this year to last year on a monthly basis on a quarterly basis all of that and we can see you know things getting stronger things getting weaker and analyzing those things so that if our long term goal was to exit without exiting we can see if we're marching that right direction because we've got to have a certain amount of bottom line profit uh, and trends going in the right direction in order to be able to elevate somebody to that level of CEO. And that's not going to happen at the same salary, right? I've got to, we've got to pay them more. We've got to incentivize them. Um, so analyzing the P&Ls and understanding them is one of the most critical things that a founder of a business can do. Unfortunately, 50% of the people don't even have proper P&Ls. And then at least half of the other half uh, don't do a, a monthly deep review with uh, their CFO or by themselves. And from give, you know if it's provided by the bookkeeper to truly understand the business. Bottom yeah. line, yeah, right. It's a little frightening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And I haven't always been in that in that court. Uh, you know, I am an entrepreneur first and foremost. I, you know, push and drive and and, and get ahead through sheer force of will. I'm not a detail person, Will, um, it, but I've become that over the years after almost 24 years of entrepreneurship. I've become that, you know, the detail person. I don't input the details. Somebody else does that and somebody else reviews it with myself and, and Mark, um, but it's helped us become better business people and helped us build a, a more valuable business. 
not just for us, but for the entire team and for all the people that we serve, that we help um, you know, achieve their, their, their own financial goals, their exit goal. I mean, we, we, what we do every day has an impact on people's financial lives. And uh, the, the better uh, operation we have, the more, more people are going to be able to help. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, uh, cool. Is there anything else you, you wanted to add on the kind of uh, buying and selling? Any other tips? Or? Yeah, well, just the simple fact that it's all very confusing and overwhelming and it's like drinking through a fire hose and you just have to take little sips um, so that you can learn as you go. Uh, the water cooler talk, you know, that you know, somebody sold for a seven-time multiple um, is, is, is the first thing you need to understand is the multiple of what? Right? Is it and and what was the deal structure? Did they include inventory in that multiple? Did they not? Did they include in or out? Did they get in or out? How much cash did they get at closing? There's so many nuances to the valuations that um, it's it's overwhelming and confusing, and um, that's why I it's all there, and it, that's why I, I wrote the book. The Entrepreneur's Playbook, and uh, people don't get cut. They, what they don't want to do because of the the world in, that we live in, we don't want to feel stupid asking stupid questions, right? Yeah, everybody says you know, there are no stupid questions. That's not the way we feel when we ask a question that yeah. others may know the answer to. So, you know, being able to access the, the information and answers without feeling that way was an important thing to me, and why I, I, I wrote the book. It's it's all there. It's, it's uh, in uh, great detail and none of it is hard to understand once you read it and digest it, but you got to do it in small pieces. That's the key thing. Yeah. And uh, just final question I wanted to ask on this, on the topic. Um, at what point would you recommend someone actually get in touch with a business like yours? Mm. Is, it, is it 18 months into the business or something and just to kind of have that chat and see what's going on? Or is it, yeah. you know, the first day you wake up thinking, uh, I, I probably want to exit this at some point. Is that the day you say, yeah, that's when you should be getting in touch to start preparing? You know, either of those are, are great times where you say, you wake up and say, I want to exit this at some point. Or, you know, I'm, I'm 18 months old and I, I know that 48 months out, I want to exit. Why don't I just understand, start to learn and understand that process now and connect with someone? Th- those are both great periods. Um, the, 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 the wrong time, if there is a wrong time, is when you are burnt out, totally exhausted, and just have to move on, right? That's that, you're still going to get help. You're still going to exit, but you're not going to exit at the value that you could have if you woke up in those two other scenarios. Where you, go, well, you know, someday I want to sell this. I might as well learn everything I can, or I'm going to sell in 18 months. Let me get in contact. Um, either of those first two are good. The last one works, but you're not going to get the best value because you didn't do certain things within the business to prepare it uh, to be a great business, to be taken over by a great buyer at a great price. Yes. Is that kind of where you see like someone's burnt out, they're not as interested anymore. And so they've, maybe they've let, let things lapse a bit. Um, they've, they've not uh, kept on top of things as well as they should have done. Yeah. They just didn't know to though, either, right? They didn't know to do certain things. They didn't, you know, pay attention to certain metrics in the business and thought, well, it's okay. It's growing like crazy. I should just sell it. Okay. I'm ready to sell. And I, and I want a maximum multiple, but there's certain things within the business that prevent it from getting a maximum multiple, like a hero skew or, you know, you're the key player in the business and you can't just leave. You can stick around for a while and that's going to bring the multiple down or things of that nature. No, the sooner, the better, 
not the day you launch the business. You can maybe buy the book or learn as much as you can, but you don't have to have a conversation with anybody. When you, when you want to take, you know, let's say you've set that exit goal and with dollars, date, and feeling, you want to reverse engineer path to that. That's when you want to have that goal. That, that's when you want to have that conversation. When you've set your goal, now you want to firm up where you are today. You want to understand the current value. So you know how close or how far you are from that goal. That's when you want to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, and just before we finish, is there anyone in the, the kind of business world that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? Yeah. Goodness, there's a whole lot. Um, <laughs> some of them are my friends. I haven't seen them a long time because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. So first, I'd like to get together with Ramon or Sam and guys like that. Ramon Van Meer, I sold a business for him years ago. We've become good friends. Uh, he launched another business. It's just gone. It, it, this is a person that well, has a long story. That's not what you're looking for. Um, if I could sit down with anyone in the world and have lunch with uh, and talk business with, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it would probably be, there'd be a lot of people. So if I was just to narrow it down, go to a short list. Um, well, I'll, you know what? I'm going to have lunch with Sam Parr. He's a friend anyway. I just it, It's funny. He's an online friend, Will. Uh, he okay. endorsed the book. He wrote the forward, but, and we've talked over the years and we've texted and emailed, but because of COVID, because of timing and travels, we've never had lunch together. So Sam, let's get together for lunch. He's in Austin. I'm in Charlotte. I'll be down there soon. We're going to have lunch. Sam runs the hustle. He runs the trends. And the reason why oh, okay. I yeah. uh, have lunch with him is because of the community building expertise that he has. And the story that he has, he started with nothing. He had, a, he had a hot dog stand when he was in college. He dropped out of college and moved to the, to the West Coast to be where that, you know, where the heart of, you know, uh, entrepreneurship was, at least as he saw it, you know, Silicon Valley, um, and, and, and launched the, the hustle and trends and really understands community building like no one else in the world. So I'd, I'd be having some lunch with Sam, talking about that kind of stuff. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, cool. Well, uh, thanks for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch or, or find out more about what you do, um, obviously they can buy the book, but yeah, um, yeah what's, what's the best way of getting in touch? I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So they can find me on LinkedIn, Joe Valley on LinkedIn. They could uh, visit uh, quietlight.com, which is our M&A firm for online businesses. Or if they wanted to access the book, they can go to exitpreneur.io. Uh, or of course, do a search for it on Amazon. The book is available there as well. But at exitpreneur.io, we're giving away free chapters of the book, some of the key essential chapters that people can read and uh, enjoy and learn from it and, you know, in, in advance of buying the book itself. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. My pleasure, Will. Thanks for having me. So while this conversation was about potentially exiting a business and you might not have a business to exit from, these same principles apply as a marketer. You need to know that your revenue growth is outpacing your ad growth or you're not really growing. You need to know that your customer retention strategy is working as retained customers are more profitable. And leadership is important as well. Whether it's the founder of the company, the marketing director, or a team leader, these people will need to instill confidence in their team to keep everyone motivated, working hard, and driving up those metrics. If you'd like to learn more about these metrics and how you might position your business for an exit, reach out to Joe on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, send them over to will at customersuclip.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. 
Next up, I've got Serge Popovich joining me, and we're going to talk through how Crossrope maximizes their first purchase AOV. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.